This morning I want to be talking on the topic of justification. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles to Romans 5, we'll be reading that in a moment. But just by uh, a few words of introduction. Uh, the novel, the, the Kite Runner, you might have heard of it, it's come out on film recently, uh, begins with a scene where the main character receives a phone call from an old friend. And this man tells him, there is a way to be good again. And you, you know, it sparks off lots of questions which really want, it, want uh, to make you read the rest of the book. Um, like, you know, why is this guy think he's in such a bad position? What can he do to make himself good again? How does he redeem himself? And the rest of the novel goes on to answer those questions. And I suppose today, I want to take us on a sort of similar journey. Um, I want, to, want us to see that the problem of sin is, is everywhere in the world, and it's also in here. And uh, really, it's quite well illustrated by by what Rupert was saying earlier about how there's this um, mountain that's shrouded in mist, that's unattainable, that we cannot get to. Um, and Isaiah portrays it like, how am I, why am I here uh, in the presence of God, even though I'm one of unclean lips, I'm among a people who are sinful, and how, how do we become redeemed? We can be very good about complaining about things. We see this, this problem um, around the world all the time. On an international scale, you can read it in the newspapers. Um, but even on a, a small scale, you, just in my office, I find that people seem to get a lot of unity out of the things they dislike. You know, they, can, um, they can really flag up the issues that are around them and the, the environment that they work in. But whatever you think the main problem is in the world, whether it's greed, promiscuity, war, whatever it might be, we can probably all agree that what lies at the heart of all of these things is some sort of sin. Um, but it takes a particularly mature person, I would suggest, to realize that the sin which is out there um, is also, to a greater or lesser extent, in here as well. Um, if we're honest with ourselves, we can see the same sins um, inside ourselves. And it's easy to fall into this kind of subconscious belief that the people out there, the other people, have a monopoly on this, this sin problem. Uh, but I'd say we all have it a little bit. Um, I was talking to a lady the other week uh, about church, and she was, she was very pleased that I was involved. Uh, she saw the benefit of this, sort of, uh, uh, the moral benefit of what religion gives the world. But it saddened me a little bit, because she'd obviously just missed the point. Like that was all she could see, you know, that um, the job of religion was somehow was just all cleaning up our act. Um, but Jesus has not come into our lives uh, to make us more moral. He's, he's come once and for all to deal with the sin problem inside of us. We will see how it's not a case of us redeeming ourselves, going through some process, but it's something that God has done for us. Uh, it's been said that sin finds its root in unbelief in, uh, or not believing God. We set ourselves up as a better source of truth. We see what God has said. Um, and we sort of reject it and say we're going to go our own way and we sort of do God's job. And in that we separate ourselves from God. Uh, but Jesus wants us to be reconciled. So if you turn to Romans 5 from verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us 
because, we, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I want to explore how this reconciliation takes place, what it means to be justified and how we are justified. Let me pray. Lord God, we recognize that we're all coming here today from, from different places, from maybe a position of faith, maybe a position of unbelief. But Father God, show us this morning how it is that we are reconciled back to you, how it is that we can approach uh, your throne Lord God, help me speak clearly on this um, and persuasively, Lord God, and let our ears be receptive um, and our hearts welcome the truth that, that is coming in, Father. Amen. Amen. So the word justification is, can be a bit of a Christian word. Sometimes we hear it a lot, but maybe don't really know clearly what it means. Uh, and uh, throughout history, lots of people have made a lot of errors as far as this goes, and even now, um, people haven't got it clear. Um, But I think it's very important that we do understand this. Just looking at this passage that we've just read, it is apparent that a lot stands on this thing called justification. But what does it mean? I've heard it said that uh, it's justified, never sinned. But uh, and this this is true. It sort of ends up that way. But it's a lot deeper than that, and it's easy to remember. um, But it's not really as far as the word goes. Uh, For an example, if I were to run into the room and shout. Everybody get out, evacuate the building, there's an emergency. And one of you were slightly sceptical about my claims um, and came to me and said, Richard, why are you saying these things? Um, and I might have said, well, I just felt like it. Then what I said wouldn't have been justified. If I'd said something like, oh, well, there's a fire or there's a bomb that's about to explode, my comments would have been completely justified and we should all act accordingly. If Tim came to me one day and said, Richard, you smell really bad, then I would have said, oh, Tim, that hurts. Why did you say that? Um, And if he'd said, I didn't really like you, I just felt like saying it, then again, completely unjustified. Why did he say it? If he'd said, well, I know for a fact you haven't showered for three months, then it would have been a justified accusation. So, um, So you see, if something is justified, it means that it has been proclaimed as okay. Um, Whatever it is, it's right in someone's eyes. It is acceptable. It's kosher. It's, um, John Stott says it's a term borrowed from the law courts. Uh, justification is the opposite of um, condemnation, he says, and both are a proclamation of a judge. But we don't want to be just right in anyone's eyes. We need to be right in God's eyes. There's two passages in the book of Judges where the author sums up um, the people's behavior sort of in general like this, he says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You see, there was no king, there was no one to say what the absolute law was, the rules are. So everyone just sort of made up as they went along. Um, 
And I'd suggest that we're in, in similar times at the moment. Uh, there are no absolutes anymore. Everyone just kind of makes up their decisions, their morality as they go along. Interestingly though, it seems that we sometimes don't even manage to hold up to our own standards. Um, and one day we are all confronted with the issue that the problems that we see in the world, um, whether it's the greedy banker or your rubbish boss, uh, there is some of it inside as well. Um, but as Christians, you feel that we're sometimes, because we're blessed with all this knowledge about you know, the moral problems with the world, uh, we feel the problem even more acutely. Um, and it's probably the same for lots of religions. Uh, everyone you know, for, from the different major religions has this understanding that there is a sin problem that needs to be dealt with. And this is where my non-Christian friend um, from earlier comes in. Uh, she was actually from a Muslim background. She wasn't of faith herself. Um, and yeah, pointed to religion as just trying to, you know, let's all try harder. Let's all just be a bit better. We'll tip the scales of the world. Um, you know, if we can all increase our net goodness, then maybe the world will be a better place to live in. So what we end up doing is we just try really hard to become less sinful. And we do this all the time. We feel far from God. Um, and so we, we pray harder and longer, or we read the Bible more, or we go to all the meetings we can, or we give away lots of money, and maybe, maybe we'll feel that God will be pleased with us after that. Maybe we'll feel we'll be more justified, in fact. Um, and there is this urge inside of us all to, to try and make ourselves right again, I think, um, or maybe more righteous. One man who, who understood all about this was a chap who lived in the 16th century called Martin Luther. Uh, he was a monk and in the Catholic Church that said, God will not deny grace to those who do their best. The monks did like the best. Uh, they were the people that tried the hardest. Um, so Luther was really holy. He understood his own sin problem so well that he'd spend six hours in confession. So long, in fact, that he'd usually miss some of the meetings in the monastery and have to go to confession again just to make up for his absence. Um, so he ended up working out, though, that there was just no way to deal with his own sin. He saw God's righteousness as his own condemnation because he knew he'd never be able to achieve that standard. He ended up uh, hating himself and not really liking God much either. And this is the result of a theology that calls us to achieve for God's approval. Many of us, even if just subconsciously, have a rating of ourselves. We are trying to work up uh, the ladder of God being pleased with us. But this is, ends up quite being destructive. We fall into a trap if we get into this belief. Um, and it's what happens if we have a, a sloppy view of justification. I suppose we sometimes feel that theology is just a game for the academic Christians to play in, and the rest of us will just sort of get on with our lives. And this can be true, and um, we can sometimes feel that like a pragmatic or a practical approach to life gets overshadowed by sort of intellectual assent to various statements. But I think justification is something where we really need to um, have an understanding, uh, because we can see that there is a big issue if we, if we sort of miss the mark on this one. Uh, Luther finally came out of his misery when he started reading the Bible. I only mention him as a particular example because um, he's sort of like, he, well, he was the guy who started the Reformation. He was almost the start of modern evangelical Christianity. Um, he was the first one for a long time to understand this justification properly. And I'll just kind of give you a bit of the backstory there. 
Yeah, so uh, he was meditating on Romans 1.17. And he discovered he could actually obtain God's righteousness through the gospel, um, in which this righteousness he found is revealed. Uh, Just as Paul explains to the Romans in our passage, we are not justified because we tried hard or because we achieved something, but we are justified through faith. Uh, Luther saw it like uh, the marriage of a king to a prostitute. He saw that that if that ever took place, the marriage would only ever be validated by the king's vows. It would never work um, by the uh, by the prostitute just trying to get known or noticed by the king. Like that, that would never take place. Um, it would have to be the king stepping down and saying and vowing to stay with uh, the prostitute as her husband. And once married, the woman herself um, wouldn't necessarily suddenly become really nice. She might not even be less promiscuous. But her status changes. She's no longer a prostitute. She's no longer called a prostitute. She's called a queen. Um, but uh, I think even in, the, uh, in Scripture, in what we saw, uh, God, uh, Paul puts this even in stronger terms. He says our position isn't like someone who's far away, like a, um, a serf to a king. It's a, he says it, that there's God and we are God's enemies. It says we are in other places by nature objects of God's wrath. There's, there's no way that we can suddenly come to God and, and try and do something to, to, to get that relationship back together again because we're his enemy. Um, a biblical illustration of this might be when in the Old Testament when Jacob gets the blessing that was meant for his older brother. And the story in Genesis 27 describes how uh, Isaac, the father, wanted to bless his firstborn son um, that he was incredibly pleased with, that he could find no fault in. He wanted to um, bless Esau. But Jacob, the younger son, stole his blessing. Uh, he dressed up as his brother. He put on like goat skin on where his skin would be because his brother was quite hairy and uh, walked into his father's bedroom where um, and, uh, Isaac was, was quite old. He was blind um, and, uh, and impersonated uh, his brother Esau, and then he gets the blessing. And uh, it's very similar to where we are. Um, we are now in Christ. When when Jacob walks into the room, kind of Isaac like sits up and thinks, ah, oh, you know, I can smell, I can smell my firstborn son because he's wearing his clothes. His aroma comes in. I want to bless you. And it's similar to us. We're in Christ now. When we approach. This, uh, this misshrouded mountain, this heavenly throne room. We are covered in Christ's aroma and we get the blessing of the firstborn son. We get Jesus' blessing. He's pleased with us because he's pleased with Jesus. But unlike Jacob, we're, there's no risk of us being found out. We're not deceiving anyone. Um, God is in full knowledge of what's going on. He's not about to kind of uh, work it out he, um, Jesus isn't about to come in the room and say, what are you doing dressing up as me? This is something that God has ordained for us. So the passage, the passage clearly shows uh, that we receive this justification uh, by faith, not by something we have done. And if you like, that's, uh, that's almost the first pitfall that we can fall into. Um, 
that we think that we'll get God's pleasure by something we've achieved, but we get God's pleasure by because Jesus has achieved for us. Um, there is another potential problem that we can easily run into as regards our justification. Um, I think sometimes having been justified, we feel um, we need to change our actions in order to keep it. That somehow, once we've got into this place, where we, in the grace in which we now stand, uh, Paul goes on to say, uh, we, uh, we then have to have a certain set of behaviours in order to keep our justification. And if you like, uh, where's the first one? Justification by works. Maybe the classic Catholic error, which Luther was coming against. Uh, in my experience, I found that actually um, kind of holding on to your justification by works seems to be um, a Mormon error, actually. I've got a friend who's a Mormon, had like seven years of solid discussion with him about these things, and that seems to be the place where they're at. Like, now I'm, now I'm saved. I have to um, conform to a set of behaviours in order to keep God's approval. Otherwise, I'll fall away again. And this, in a sense, it makes, it makes quite a lot of sense to us. Um, and the way we read many parts of the Bible leads us to believe that our position with God is affected by our behavior. But it is not. Again, the Bible clearly um, shows us. Uh, Hebrews 7.27, uh, 1 Peter 3.18 uh, say that Christ died for our sins once and for all. So that if our sin is dealt with by Jesus, then all of it is dealt with by Jesus. All those past sins that we're coming with, our present sins, and any sin we might commit in the future, it has all been dealt with. There is nothing that we can do from, to make up for that. It has all been dealt with by Jesus. Um, in fact, if we continue uh, reading Romans 5, at the end of the passage, well, the end of Romans 5, uh, verse 20, uh, we have these verses. The law was added so that trespass might increase. And just to explain that, it talks about how, you know, before we do things wrong, but then when we're told that they're wrong, it's like the trespass, the sin increases all the more. Uh, Paul says it, that once, the, once we know the law, sin becomes utterly sinful. Uh, so the law was added so that trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increases all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through, li- uh, reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you find reading Romans that it's a logical argument. Paul just brings up a concept and follows it all the way through. He, and then comes against it with various claims and then breaks it down again. And he, what he's doing here is he's just bringing his salvation by grace argument to its logical conclusion. If we were not saved by our behavior, then it's almost as if we could keep sinning and the grace just deals with it. So uh, the more sin there is, uh, yeah, it's like as our sin increases, God's grace gets more expansive. Um, it, it, it still clothes us, you know, the, the cloak that the prodigal son, um, the father puts on the prodigal son as he runs back, or as the, well as the father runs to him, um, is big enough to deal with all the mud and the muck that he got from the pigs. Our standing with God will never um, be affected by our behavior. In fact, there's, um, you can't commit some sin to make him turn around and say, 
I don't consider you righteous anymore. Because he was never looking at you for the righteousness. He was only ever looking at Jesus for the righteousness. So we end up with this scandalous gospel that God justifies the ungodly, that he came to his enemies and said, I'm going to see you. I'm going to give you a new status as right. Um, it almost feels quite wrong. But I'm not about to bring in the balance now. I'm not about to go and say about how we have to go and, and do lots of great things now because because that's not the point. If you carry on reading, Romans 6 talks about this thing called sanctification, the work that God does in us. But justification isn't that. Don't get them mixed up. Don't feel, if you feel condemned, don't think, okay, and now I have to go and do things more. I have to wake up earlier. I have to witness to someone every day. That's not going to deal with your condemnation. Condemnation is dealt with by justification, a proclamation by God because of Jesus that we are righteous. So, yeah, there's plenty of places in, this, in Scripture where it talks about um, what our response to this gospel should be. But we need to get Romans 5 kind of clear first before we move on to Romans 6. Um, we need to understand uh, that we have this free gift of justification and that we will remain reconciled to God because of this free gift of justification. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, sums it up quite well when he says, uh, true preaching of the gospel of salvation by grace alone will always lead to the possibility of this charge being brought against it. There is no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this. That some people might misunderstand it and misinterpret it to mean that it really amounts to this. That because you are saved by grace alone, it doesn't matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it will redound all the more glory of his grace. That is a very good test of gospel preaching. If my preaching and my presentation of the gospel does not expose it to that misunderstanding then it is not the gospel. If a man preaches justification by works, no one would ever raise the question. So a sermon like this can't really um, have much application. I mean, whatever that might be, it certainly can't, meet, can't be for me to tell you all to sin less. One way of looking at, at this is that Jesus went through a lot of trouble so that you wouldn't have to worry about sin. Um, some of us have a tendency to think that that we're doing quite well at this whole Christianity thing, that we've sort of got it a bit sussed out. We may be not perfect, but we've got most of our behavior straightened out. Others amongst us uh, might feel the complete opposite, that our issues um, are just too great to be dealt with. Uh, that hope is small, and there's, there's nothing that we can do um, to, be, to be really right again. We're just going to have to carry on striving. Um, Again, others, others, you might just go between the two. But in response to this question of where are you at, we get a resounding answer from Christ himself. We are all now on a level playing field. We no longer have to rely on ourselves, on we who have proved so unreliable. No, uh, it is Jesus who calls to us inviting us to rely on him.
on him whose promises always come to pass, on him who has done all the work for us, on him uh, who will work all things together for good, and therefore on him who will always get the glory. Father, I want to ask you that um, we can be sure of this justification. Lord God, that um, as has already been prophesied, we, we will have a lifestyle that reflects our closeness to you. Lord God, don't let this just be something we understand in our heads, something that we've, we've given intellectual assent. But Lord God, let, let it be our experience in life. For this is the thing it, Paul keeps on saying about this leads to um, us having no condemnation. It leads us to us reigning in life. Lord God, let that um, be our testimony. Father God, not, let us not uh, look inside ourselves, you know, how, how have we done today? But God, let us continually have a gospel that points to Jesus um, and that looks to him. Father, in, in that good name we pray. Amen.